Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. From the recent Reformation Boise conference, here is Dr. Anthony Savaggio. Uh, would you join me in focusing your attention on the topic here for the second session Our challenge of living between, and this really is looking at two chapters in Kelvin's uh, little book of the Christian life, chapters two and chapters three. And if I were to give this presentation a subtitle, uh, kind of a topic uh, title for my sermon, I would call this coming in third, coming in third. So will you focus your hearts and your minds as we look at Holy Scripture, Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22 verses 34 through 40 will be the text that I'll be reflecting on as we look at this topic uh, this evening. Hear now the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 22 verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Let me ask you a question tonight. What would you rather win, a bronze medal or a silver medal? I'm guessing most of you would say, yeah, well, I'd rather win a silver medal, right? It's, you came in second place rather than third. What if I asked you, though, what would make you happier as an athlete, winning a bronze or winning a silver? Interestingly enough, more athletes are happy if they win a bronze medal rather than a silver silver medal. Do you know why that is? It's because the person who wins the silver medal thinks to himself or herself, I almost did it. I almost won the gold. And they go through their mind and think of the little thing they could have done differently that would have earned them that gold medal. But the bronze medalist, on the other hand, is comparing himself or herself to all those who got nothing at all, and they are more happy because of that reality. As Stanford management professor Bob Sutton put it, he said, silver medalists see themselves as the first loser, while bronze medalists see themselves as the last winner. There's some truth to that, right? 
Now, what does that have to do with my text and our topic this evening? What do Olympic medals have to do with that? Well, in this text, Jesus is really answering a question regarding what is the greatest commandment, and he answers it kind of in a ranking, if you will, kind of like offering medals of what is the greatest commandment. What is the gold medal commandment? Jesus says, the first and greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then Jesus gives the silver medal commandment. He gives what one is second greatest, and he says the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the medal rankings, according to Jesus, is that God comes first, neighbor, others come second, and by inference and implication, you and me, the I, the self, wins the bronze. We come in third place. And this profound principle that we win the bronze connects our text to our topic of the challenge of living in between because learning to come in third is really the heart of that challenge. It's all about self-denial. This is how Kelvin starts off chapter two. He says, this is it, okay? This is the first step in the Christian life. Let then, Kelvin says, our first step be to abandon ourselves. Let the first step be to abandon ourselves. In other words, Calvin tells us that to live the Christian life, we need to learn to come in third. And this evening, that's what I want to show you, is the importance of coming in third. I want you to see how it glorifies God, how it makes the world a better place, and how it may actually save your life. Save yourself. I want you to see the benefits coming in third. So this evening, a very simple outline to my presentation, very simple. I want to first look at the problem we're dealing with, then secondly, the solution to that problem, and thirdly and finally, the benefits of solving that problem. The problem, the solution, the benefits, very simple outline. Let's begin with the problem, and the problem is narcissism. The problem is we love ourselves too much. Many years ago, there was this guy, and he was pretty special. He was good-looking, and he knew it. He was the type of guy that Shania Twain sang about in that song, That Don't Impress Me Much. You know that song, right? Okay, I'm not talking. That's good. That's good. We know what this song is. I never knew a guy who carried a mirror in his pocket and a comb up his sleeve just in case and all that extra whole gel in your hair ought to lock it because heaven forbid it should fall out of place. Okay, so you're Brad Pitt. That don't impress me much. That's what this guy was like. He loved himself, but this guy had an enemy, and his enemy, he basically had a nemesis, and his nemesis was named Nemesis. And the nemesis was looking for a way to get this pretty dude uh, and take him down, and he took him to a pool of water, and when our guy saw his reflection in the water, he could not look away, and he stared there until he died. 
stared at his own image. Of course, this was narcissism, where we get that word narcissism from. We all have this problem. We are all narcissists. We love and admire ourselves too much. And this is what Calvin says. He puts it this way. Everyone flatters himself and carries, as it were, a kingdom in his breast. And you don't have to teach people to do this, right? You don't have to teach people to be narcissists. We're born that way. We're born loving ourselves. Again, Calvin makes this point in chapter 2. Our very nature inclines us towards self-love. We're inclined that way. We don't have to walk uphill. It's how we're inclined to love ourselves. And our culture only serves to help us with this, right? By fixating us, whether it's through the media, through advertising, it encourages us and enables us to gratify ourselves and to turn selfishness really into a virtue. I got to do me, right? That's what the culture says. You got to do you, right? You got to do me. The culture only enhances it. Paul spoke about this. He predicted this, if you will, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But understand this, Paul writes, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people, for people will be lovers of self. What's the problem? The problem is we think we should come in first, that we deserve the gold medal. Our problem is that we love ourselves too much. We are standing and staring into the pool of our own reflection, and it is literally killing us. That's our problem. We're narcissists. Now, don't get me wrong in this, because there's a danger in thinking about what I'll be talking about tonight. I am not talking about self-loathing. I'm not talking about some hatred of yourself. What I'm talking about tonight in this topic is is this kind of dealing with this destructive self-absorption that we have that Calvin is trying to get us to focus on as the very first step and really the biggest challenge of the Christian life, this prioritizing of ourselves above God and above others. Self-love is the problem, it's the challenge, and the solution, point number two, the solution to this, now hold on, you want to write this down, okay, I've got the solution for you, wait for it, it's Jesus, it's that Sunday school answer, 
The solution to the problem of narcissism, of our own self-idolatry, of our self-love, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I realize that sounds simplistic, but in reality, it's true. It's not an overstatement, I think, to say that what the primary evil that Jesus came to address, that he confronted, was self-love, for self-love is the root of sin. Self-love leads to self-indulgence, self-deception, self-destruction. And Jesus came and faced that head on. And the way he did it, the way he attacked narcissism was through humility. It was through humility. And we see this in the life of our Lord. We see this humility in his teachings. We see it in his life. Consider the teachings of our Lord. In his first sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As the message translates this, I don't often quote it, but I think it gets it right here. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope with less of you. There is more of God and his rule. When his disciples were arguing who would be the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus responded and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humility. In Luke 14, in a parable about hospitality and taking the seat of honor at dinner, Jesus reminded people of a very important principle. He said in Luke 14, 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is peppered throughout the teachings of our Lord, humility. Humility. And we see it, of course, in the life of our Lord as well. His life can be properly described as it is in the confessional documents as the humiliation of our Lord. His entire life from being born of a woman to being born in a manger, of being taking on to himself the eternal Son of God, taking on to himself human flesh. The mockery of his arrest, his trial, his public humiliation, his nakedness, the cross-bearing itself, the entire ministry of Jesus Christ is an object lesson in humility. More with Dr. Anthony Savaggio from the Reformation Boise Conference on Monday. 